December of last year, it was an LA Times writer that wrote a story that was headlined 2021 Sports Year in Review, The Year Simone Biles Taught Us It's Okay to Not Be Okay. This article, of course, talking about the greatest of all time in gymnastics, Simone Biles. The hopes were high as the Olympics had been delayed one whole year because of the pandemic. And this was going to be her finest hour and the pressure was immense. Before the Olympics, she was already suffering with anxiety and depression and she was trying to manage this things through. But by the time she got to the qualifying round and ended up Cutting her vault short, in the midst of the air, she said she was so disoriented, she was afraid she was going to absolutely hurt herself, and dramatically, she kind of came out of it. She immediately comes over to the side and says, I can't do this, and she withdraws from the competition. Our society fires up the, the interwebs, and people start throwing bombs from one side and the other. This is, why, how can she do this? And this is wrong, and she needs to get over it, and that kind of thing. And then others saying, oh, you, we should feel sorry for her, and everything in between. And this idea of anxiety is not new, and it's certainly not rare. I mean, 40 plus million supposedly Americans, and it's probably on the low end, suffer with some kind of anxiety. I'm going to argue in a few minutes that we all suffer with some kind of anxiety. The article goes on to talk about Naomi Osaka, who is a tennis player, and she ended up having to withdraw from the French Open and then skipped Wimbledon because of anxiety. She just didn't feel like herself throwing her racket down at the end of things and just losing her mind. Lane Johnson, all pro, I think he's a tackle. He's an offensive lineman for the, the Philadelphia Eagles missed three games last October due to anxiety and problems with his anxiety medications. This idea of anxiety, it has been rising with pandemics and all sorts of social issues. It seems like these days I can't turn around and not hear about being anxious. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America website says, anxiety disorders affect 31.9% of adolescents between 13 and 18. And the World Health Organization says that one in 13 people around the world suffer from anxiety. I think that's probably low. Uh, years ago, one writer coined the phrase, the United States of Anxiety. And this has been such a sticky term. There's like a podcast and a book about that. One scientific researcher actually calculated in doing research with people that his uh, test subjects, what were the percentages that of anxiety? And 40% things that will never happen. 30% things about the past that can't be changed. 12% things about criticism by others, mostly untrue. 10% about health, which gets worse with stress. And only 8% about real problems that will be faced. And it would be really easy for me to stand up here and 100% insensitive and just say, well, you just need to get over it. Stop being anxious. Because most of the things that we're anxious about actually don't ever happen. But that would be tragic. It would be overly simplistic and it would be wrong. 
If you struggle with anxiety, panic attacks, social anxiety disorder, or many other internal struggles, you understand how small anxiety makes your world and how debilitating it can be. I found this little thing on the internet that uh, is a description of what living with anxiety feels like. Living with anxiety is like being followed by a voice. It knows all your insecurities and uses them against you. It gets to the point when it's the loudest voice in the room, the only one you can hear. Sounds like the voice of the enemy, doesn't it? In my time of sabbatical, these 12 weeks that I had to do inner healing and work myself, I read this book called Managing Leadership Anxiety. This was not even on my radar. I didn't even know this book existed. But someone said, there's these free books if you want to take one. And I was just standing there in front of this whole rack of books saying, Lord, what should I take? And this was the first one I felt like. He said, you need to take that and you need to read it. Like, I don't have an anxiety problem. I'm just fine. Well, in this book, Steve Cuss, in a Managing Leadership Anxiety, says this. Anxiety is a signal, not a root cause. It's a siren that a storm might be coming. It is not the storm itself. Getting to the root cause is key to transformation and systemic Health. He goes on to say this. Anxiety blocks our awareness of God because it takes our subconscious attention. This means that anxiety can be an early detected detection system that we're depending on something other than God for our well-being. We're trusting something else besides God. So we're having a hard time being present with God. Now on this journey... I felt like the Lord is calling me into becoming the man he's called me to be. And he told me, I felt like he highlighted three things. That he needed me to be more present with him. More present to what heaven's saying. More present to myself and aware of what's going on in my own heart. And more present with others. And that looks like the command of Jesus. And then if I do those three things, if I walk into those three things, the kingdom will come out all over the place and I will build the kingdom with him. And yet, anxiety dulls that awareness of God. And so certainly, it's something I want to focus on in my life. This morning, my aim isn't to overly simplify the presence of anxiety in your life. There's a million reasons why you might be anxious. You may have suffered deep trauma in the past. You might have witnessed horrible things. Or even social media has skewed your thinking. Or just garden variety fear of missing out. It all falls under this category of anxiety. And so I'll say this. Healthy people go to counseling. Around here, if you say, I go to counseling, we give you a high five and go, way, way to go. Way to steward your own heart. Way to be sensitive to what God's doing. We're big fans. Yesterday on the radio, this uh, little blip was going by on Christian radio. It said, counseling helped me gain the tools to live out my faith. I thought, that's really good. It's not either or, it's both and. It's getting clear. And clarity often is my problem. I don't have an obedience problem, I have a clarity problem. As soon as I get clear, I'm like, okay, I'm good. But man, it is so hard to get clear alone, isn't it? 
That's why counseling or even a really good trusted friend is such a powerful thing in our lives to help us understand what is it that's going on in our heart that may be creating this anxiety. So if you've been been struggling for a lot of years, it might be a process of uncluttering what's going on in your heart. Though we believe God does miracles and he does all sorts of great miracles and he can set you free, most often he also wants to have you go back and steward what's happening in your own heart. Above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Last week I talked about a splinter in my finger that I got at the beginning of my sabbatical and I was really worried it was going to get infected and just dug and dug and dug and dug and try to get that thing out. And that was the picture that I got during sabbatical that I needed to dig and dig and dig to pull out the splinters of my own heart. Those things that were actually creating things like anxiety and I didn't know it. So the last few weeks of my sabbatical really revolved around looking at this, this idea of anxiety being a siren. A, hey, pay attention, there's other stuff going on here, you need to look at it. So this morning, I want to share with you a few verses that are the biblical plan, the posture, how we counteract anxiety in our life. And while this is just a short, simple list of things from God's Word— that he's commanding us to do. It's not a silver bullet. This is not a, if you do this, then all of your problems go away. If anybody ever says that to you, they're trying to sell you something. And what God teaches us in his word is to begin to behave our way out of anxiety and receive the peace that he has. All right? This is the peace that I've been talking about receiving during my sabbatical and moving out. Doesn't matter that I worked way too many hours this week because I was carrying the peace of Christ with me. Didn't matter that I encountered loss and struggle and putting out fires. Didn't matter because the peace of Christ is leading me and I'm working out of that peace. So what was the process that I, that I used during my sabbatical? I sat alone and listened. I took walks with Jesus and listened. And I pondered the thoughts that came into my head. So it it would be a memory. It would be a good thing or a really hard thing to look at from my past. And I'd just try to keep a curious posture, posture. And I would ask God a few simple questions. I put them on the screen here. Like, okay, God, where did I do go right there? And where did I do the wrong thing in that situation? And then when I could see I did something wrong, Lord, would you forgive me for that? And where were you, Jesus, when I was going through that really painful circumstance? And just listen, and that little voice that comes in your head, or that little thought that comes in your head, I was there right with you. He will never leave us or forsake us, but it feels like we're alone oftentimes. Or where do you want me to learn from that moment, God? I want to make sure I get everything out of this. Are there any other things I've believed that aren't true because of what happened? Sometimes when I get hurt back here, I go, oh, for instance, years ago, I had people who were calling my voicemail and saying awful things to me, just ranting, just saying all kinds of stuff. Well, guess what? I made a decision that all voicemail is bad. It should never be listened to, and if that, that, if that little light blinks, I start getting... We're not going to call it anxious. 
Because that sounds negative. We'll call it concerned and wise that I'm not going to put myself in a situation to get hurt again. No, it's anxiety. It's getting triggered. Something that happened that was really painful. And now I've, I've decided that all voicemail is bad. That's not a good conclusion. That's a silly, well, maybe not silly for me, but silly for you illustration. But oftentimes those things become very, very serious. We've got to look at those. So, I've had some years of counseling and coaching and mentoring, and I was able to do a lot of this work myself, but I did go to some friends and worked out some things here and there and got some help. Because vulnerability is my superpower. And it leads to divine interactions that get me more freedom. So, what is the Apostle Paul going to tell us about how to counteract anxiety? I've left you probably waiting too long. But for those of you who are like, oh, it's so nice that you're talking to everybody else this morning, because that's not me. I don't get anxious about anything at all. Now I'm going to prove to you that you do get anxious. You're just calling it something else and sanitizing it. So mind the gap. When you're in England, uh, when you're in London, you've got the tube and the subway, and you have to mind the gap. That's what it says between the train and the platform. And in this case, we've got to mind the gap with what anxiety is. So let's say uh, we know how to do something. If you're a leader, let's say you're a mom. You know how to do certain things for your kids. And this is what you do. And you do the things that you know. But life is going to require you to do something you've never done before. And you're like, wait, wait, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I know how to do these things. The gap between those two things are where anxiety lives. Could be that you are new on the job at a coffee shop and you've learned how to run the register, but... Now they're asking you to grind the beans, and you're not sure exactly if you're going to grind them to the right consistency. All of a sudden, you're, oh, I'm going to mess this up, and then they're going to fire me, or they're going to, the coffee's going to taste horrible, and everybody's going to be mad at me. Whatever the anxiety, we all face this kind of thing, because we are challenged to do things that we've never done before. And in those moments, that is what we call anxiety. Going, hey, hey, there's a gap here. So it could be as simple as, I'm going to drive in Ireland on the other side of the road. I'm a little anxious. I've done it before, but it makes me a little anxious, right? Or fear that if I, if I don't say yes to this invite, they're not going to ever invite me again. You guys have never faced that before. You guys are totally past that. Or you dread going to school or work because you're afraid you're going to fail or not be valued. So, we all experience different levels of anxiety. I am not going to say they're all the same. There are some people with severe anxiety. There are others who just experience it here and there, but we all face this. So, what is Philippians 4 going to tell us? Here's the context before we jump into Philippians 4. If you want to turn there, you can, or you can do the digital things. Paul's in a jail in Rome. He's writing this book to this group of believers in the city called Philippi. It's the people that are gathering, the church. And even though Paul is writing from prison, he's lost his freedom, things aren't going so well. The main, one of the main themes of the book is joy. And Paul had visited the city of Philippi 10 years before this. This is when he had established the church in his second missionary journey in Acts 16. And he and his 
brother, his partner in, in ministry, Silas, are locked up in the jail, and instead of feeling sorry for themselves, they are singing worship songs at the top of their lungs at midnight. Everybody else is trying to sleep, feeling sorry for themselves. They're like, but God is good, and all the time, and we're just going to keep praising him. In the midst of this difficulty, we're going to praise him. Earthquake shakes the whole place. All the doors open up. The jailer's thinking, oh man, if these guys get out, I'm done. So he pulls his sword out to fall on his sword, and Paul goes, whoa, 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 don't kill yourself. We're all here. And this jailer's like, why would you stay? What are you doing? Paul and Silas share the gospel with him, and this man and his whole house give their lives to Jesus. I believe that they're probably leaders in this church then 10 years later. And so in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of where Paul and Silas should be anxious, they're actually finding this key to contentment. So let me just read through these verses, then I'm going to pick them apart, do a little exegesis this morning, and then we'll get you on your way for the week. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He continues, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received and heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, this is super simple. Six postures that I see right here. We're going to fly through them. They're not a silver bullet, but they begin posturing you to see anxiety lessen. The first one, rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, just in case you missed it last time, I say it again, rejoice. Easier said than done. Just be joyful? What are you saying, Paul? What's the deal? Well, we're rejoicing in the Lord. So you might not be able to rejoice in your load, but you can rejoice in the Lord. And so I looked up a few verses about what are, where, how are we supposed to rejoice in the Lord? Rapid fire. We're, we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord's good gifts. We're supposed to rejoice in God's goodness, rejoice in his salvation, rejoice in his love, rejoice in the name, his name all day long, rejoice in following his statutes or his word, rejoice in his promises, rejoice forever in what God has created in creation, Rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I mean, it's not like we don't have anything to rejoice about. Amen. There's a lot. There's a list, right? You can see the power of a worship song and declaring God's truth over and over and the importance of that in rejoicing. So, first posture, we choose to rehearse these things about God and rejoice in them. We choose into taking joy in what's true, good, and right, and we fix our eyes on Jesus. Two, this is a subtle one. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness being evident to all. So Paul's telling us to choose a gentle demeanor. We have an option to either escalate or de-escalate our situation. 
In street pastoring, we try to de-escalate when someone is making a big scene on the street. But the same is true in your family. If you have a sibling, you know how to get your, your sibling's goat, right? Weird, weird idiom for, the, for some of you, sorry. Uh, you know how to get on your sibling's nerves. You know how to push their buttons. And yet, this is saying your anxiety will be much less if you choose a gentle answer which turns away wrath. Depending upon what's causing your anxiety, if you take a more gentle approach in your relationships, the anxiety levels come down. You might not be able to put all the fires out, but you can take the temperature down by being gentle with others. It doesn't mean weak or fragile. I believe it's being moderate in our reactions, tempering our responses. And gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a strength under control kind of word. So gentleness, sneaky, but important, Paul says. Number three, the Lord is near. God is near. So this can be a double meaning. It can talk about the the coming of Jesus is near. But I think in this context, it's more important that, look, you're not alone. God is with you. Whatever is going on, if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for peace, God is there to be able to provide it for you. Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall the heart of the sea. He's so faithful. So when we get anxious, we often forget that God is near. We imagine him a long ways off. It's just me standing here by myself, just trying to figure it out. But if you just can picture the fact that Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's always with you. Therefore, he's always available to you. Therefore, he knows exactly what's going on. He's ready to help. He's an ever-present help. Remembering God's with you every step of the way is really helpful to begin to calm your heart. It's not you alone. Four, stop being anxious. Gotta love it when the Bible just like, just stop it. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This is literally one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So good. So let's get all nerdy, shall we? First word in this, in this Greek sentence, nothing. He says, not one thing, literally. Not one thing, not one thing, not the small things, not the big things. Not one thing. It's put there for emphasis. And the church at Philippi looks like they're experiencing some strife, some problems. Earlier in this chapter, I mean, we even see like there are two women who are fighting and they get called out by name. Can you imagine being those, those ladies? Yeah, my, my name's in the Bible because I had a fight and Paul called me out. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> That's one way to get famous. They seem to be a worrying church, continually forfeiting their joy. So literally this, 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 um, this phrase is, for nothing, stop being anxious. You're like, what are you, Yoda? What's going on here? <laughs> this is a command, present tense. It's to be a habitual practice. And now I'm going to get really nerdy on you. So because the negative precedes the command, it means that they're already doing it. It means stop doing this because you're already doing it. Stop worrying. 
Stop being anxious. That's a good word for us because we're already anxious. No, no, no. But that's the other guys. It's not me. No, no. You're big boat. Come on with us. What does Jesus say about this? He says exactly the same thing. Luke 12. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than these birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you, if then, you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? It's pretty clear. This is not life to the fullest, living in anxiety. And it feels like a cop-out that they're just saying, just stop. It's not that easy. But Paul is helping as he unpacks this here. He's going to help us a little bit more. But this is about carrying a burden that's not ours, the burden of the future. If you picture yourself in the future by yourself, you're not picturing your future correctly because we know that he will never leave us or forsake us. Therefore, if we picture ourself in the future with Jesus, bingo, right? It's so subtle. And I've said it to you over and over, and I will keep saying it to you because I think that's a real issue for us. So, Corey Tenboom said this, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And Jesus says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For t- tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He only gives us enough grace for today. Recently, my wife and I were talking about finances and just some struggles with trying to figure stuff out. And Mimi, our 14-year-old, overhears us talking about it. Says, Dad, I don't want to hear that anymore. It makes me really nervous. Okay. We'll make sure that we don't have those conversations around you. And I was thinking about that as I was thinking about how we carry anxiety. Then David Guzik, who I really enjoy reading his stuff, he says, undue care, or this anxiety, is an intrusion into God's arena. It makes us the father of the household instead of being the child. It would be inappropriate for my 14-year-old to carry the burden of our finances for our family. And yet, that's what anxiety does. We decide we're just responsible for our own stuff instead of letting God be responsible. And the effects of anxiety can be physical, certainly. Charles Mayo, you would recognize his name from the Mayo Clinic. This affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I have never known a man who died from overwork, but many who have died from doubt. Even in the, the Gulf War in 1991, as, they, as scientists looked at Israeli citizens dying, they saw this spike in deaths. And it was so interesting because in the days before the war starting, the mortality rate just went off the charts. And as soon as that, after that first day, 
the mortality rates actually ended up going back to normal. And what they found was the vast majority of these people that were dying were not dying from the physical effects of missiles coming into their country. They were dying from heart failure that was brought on by fear and worry and stress associated with anticipating that happening. Mental effects of anxiety, I believe, are great. Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts into which all other thoughts are drained. It's, it, it's this anxiety thing can literally stop us up completely. So number five, we need to stop being anxious, but we also need to pray. Once we find this gap, oh wow, I know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. Lord, help. That's your prayer. You can say Jesus, help. You want to say Holy Spirit, help. Father, help. Perciel, if you want to say Heavenly Father in French, that's all good. You got options. Senor, help. That's your first step. Ah, I feel a little stirred up. Help, Lord. I think I need a sign that says, have you prayed about that yet? So many things in this life we try to carry on our own and we just need to be reminded, hey, have you prayed about that yet? That might be a good sign for you to make for your refrigerator. So we're supposed to pray. How are we supposed to pray? Well, Prayer takes our focus certainly off the, pro- the problem, and it goes on to the problem solver. Henrietta Mears, who they call the mother of modern evangelicalism, he, she poured her life into Billy Graham, Bill Bright, others. I mean, it's just amazing, her legacy. They're calling it a hundred-year legacy. Come on, I want that. I want to have a hundred-year legacy. Maybe a longer one, but I've got to start somewhere. She says, yes, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. The prayer of faith must be a prayer of thanksgiving because faith knows how much it owes to God. Put your prayers into God's hand and let go and leave them there. Do not worry about them. If you do this, then the peace of God will stand guard over your heart and mind. I think she's been reading this passage. So here's my quote of a quote for the day. Are you ready? It's legal to pray for something more than once. (laughs) Pretty profound, isn't it? And I'm going to let that sink in a little bit. Because some of you are still taking your cues from your mom and dad, and that, like, you asked me once and I said, no, don't ask me again. (laughs) That's not God. Can my friend spend the night... No, don't ask me again. Okay. It's not like that with God. In fact, what we've seen, especially in praying for healing, is oftentimes people don't get healed after the first prayer. Huh? That means you keep praying over and over. Wait, isn't that boring? No, it's not boring. You like the fact that I'm having a conversation with myself? By the way, one of my revelations during my sabbatical was that I'm actually a seven-year-old boy and I need to come out more often and play. So, Andrew Birch at 3.0, a much more fun version. It is 
okay. It's okay to keep praying about the same thing. It's called persevering in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Colossians 4.2. Get after it and keep after it. This week I read about General George Patton. I have no idea how spiritual he was, but I do know that at a point during the war, the American troops are driving the Nazi troops back. They're going through fog and rain, and it's just sloppy out there. And Patton telephones the, tel- the chaplain and says, do you have a good prayer for weather? He knows how to do things. Now he's asked this. You can imagine this chaplain's like, uh, uh, I'm going to write one right now. So he writes a prayer. He says, great, I want that to be disseminated among all of my 250,000 troops to pray this prayer together for clear weather. I don't know how spiritual he was, but at least he knew how to storm the gates of heaven, right? He's going to ask big. So we're supposed to pray when we get anxious. Lord, help. Help me. Focus on heaven, not on the problem. And not just any prayer, a prayer with thanksgiving. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of overlap between these two passages. So thanking God for what he's done in the past will begin to bring faith into this moment that he can also do that same thing right now for you. Testimonies are that same way. When you hear a testimony, you should say, yes, if God did that for them, he can do that for me. Not like, well, they're more special than I am, so I guess I'm I'm out of luck. No. When you hear a testimony, you think, I am going to believe that if God did that for them, he can do that for me. But isn't that being presumptuous? No, that's called faith. We get the two mixed up a lot. And I believe our faith needs to be strengthened. And we need to boldly ask over and over and over. Why? Because it's legal to ask God for something more than once. So, I want to go to last point, number six. Refocusing our mind. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is all about renewing your mind by setting your your eyes and your mind on things above. It just begins to renew your heart. It's interesting, when I take my daughter to school, there's certain music that I want to listen to. Because I'm starting my day, it's got to be music that brings me hope. And I don't usually listen to the news, by the way, on the way to school. Why? Because I need to start with Jesus and hope and worship and reminding myself that he's mighty, he's good, he's kind, he's a good father, he comes through. I don't want to rehearse and eat at the the table of doubt and tragedy. I want to go, no, I want to remind myself of who God is. Even if it's songs that I don't think are written very well. Because I'm a music snob. I'm like, why do they write it like that? Still, the content's really great. What kind of songs are you singing? What kind of songs are you singing? Are you feeding your mind with reasons to doubt God's goodness or faithfulness? Or are you hearing testimonies of God's faithfulness on a regular basis? 
By the way, the way you get that is, tell me what God's doing in your life. What are you learning? Where is the answered prayer? That's all you have to do. You just like throw the line out and then you'll get a bite. What are you, where are you feasting? How have you surrounded yourself with those, or have you surrounded yourself with those who constantly question God's goodness? Or are you hanging out with the thankful people? Thankful people are joyful people. A.B. Simpson, the founder of our movement, tells the story of an old farmer who plowed around this large rock in his field year after year. He'd broken one cultivator and two plowshares by hitting it. Each time he saw that rock, he grumbled about how, how much trouble that it had caused. One day, he decided to dig it up and be done with it. He put a large crowbar underneath one side and found, to his surprise, the rock was less than one foot thick. Soon he had it pried out of the ground, was carrying it away in his wagon, and he smiled to think how this big old rock had caused him so much needless frustration. And I believe this area of our life is like the rock that we leave in the field. We plow around it, pretend like it's not there, think maybe someday everything will be all right. I will get a bunch of money or everything's going to turn out great. And there's this thought that, but I don't want to look what's in my heart. I don't really want to do the soul work of understanding that maybe there's some thorns in here that need to come out. And I don't know about you, but while I do believe that the Holy Spirit delivers gifts and he delivers us, there are so many times when while he does that, he's giving us a little bit of relief. Like that back teen that I sprayed on my finger like an eight-year-old. I'm like, I'm going to put enough of this on there that maybe it won't hurt as much. I don't know that it really worked out that well, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to numb it and then I'm going to really dig that thing out. And God's going to give us those gifts, but his, his desire still is for us to do the hard work, to be honest before him, to seek after healing and health. So I'm in a clear space. I'm in a joyful space. I'm in a peaceful place because I've been doing work in here. Not because I'm amazing, but because I've been with Jesus. So I want you to stand. Prayer folks, if you'd come down forward. I'm just so hopeful in this season that you'll be open to looking in here. And I think the fruit that you're going to see is your anxiety is going to go, and you're going to begin to step into that gap and say, help, Lord. Lord, show me. Just step by step, day by day. I'm not going to do this alone. I'm going to open myself up to others. I'm going to let vulnerability be my superpower as well. So Jesus, help. We all face this. This is hard. I pray that you would help us to be kind to ourselves, kind to one another, that we'd receive everything you have for us today. Lord, thank you for each person who's listening. For those who feel like they're too far gone, that they can never get over their anxiety. I pray that you just give them great, great gifts from the Holy Spirit today to be able to realize new truth, new faith, new hope. And Lord, for those of us who bump into anxiety less frequently, 
I pray that we would be quick to pray and that you'd really change us and you'd use us to change others. And so, Holy Spirit, come, do your work, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Thessalonians 3, 16, as you go, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with all of you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.